What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I am your host of Locked On Bills. Locked On Bills is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 10 bucks off your first order. Happy Monday to you. We're going to do another episode of Buffalo Bills Word Association. And my guest today is Greg Thompson. You guys know him. He's been a frequent guest here on this podcast. He also does work with Cover One, hosting the Cover One Buffalo podcast. And uh, fresh to the – or, or re-welcomed now to the Cleveland area, moving from Atlanta. You know, Greg, they say um, – Nobody moves to the south and then moves back up north, but uh, that, those that saying's about other people, not you. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong because the weather is by far the biggest negative <laughs> of the of the move going back. But uh, no, we're we're getting back closer to family and friends, and very blessed to have an opportunity uh, to have a, a great job offer to bring me back uh, closer to home. So uh, that was uh, a wonderful thing. But yeah. I, I at least get seven months to feel good about it before I really regret it. Well, and you know, just leaving me all alone here in the Southeast, you know, <laughs> thought we had a little thing going there down 85. Uh, but no, you wanted to go back up to Cleveland and now, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy here in the Southeast. So, <laughs> but there's Bill, Bill's mafia is throughout the country. So everywhere. I don't feel that alone. was a big debate recently on, on the interwebs. <laughs> Right, and I think uh, that was uh, shut down pretty quick by that uh, that Dolphins fan who didn't quite know what was up with the Bills Mafia. <laughs> All right, so it's Buffalo Bills Word Association. I've got six for Greg. He's got six for me. We don't know what they are. The concept here is that we will give our word or phrase or saying, and then the other person will respond as quickly as possible. There's no wrong answers, Greg. It's whatever comes to your mind first. So um, I think... After we've done three of these so far, everyone knows what the drill is, so we can get started. And Greg, I'll let you uh, pitch to me here your first three. All right. So I, I like these. I actually do some of these at work as well when it, when we're doing you know big strategy sessions, try to get the synapses firing and try to get everybody kind of warmed up and get the ideas going. So I've got a warm-up for you. This doesn't count as one. This is just to kind of get us into the rhythm oh, here. Jeez. Okay. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. Beautiful. Okay. All right. We're ready. We're ready. We're flowing. I, I am. I'm going to start with my first three people. The first person is Bryce Pop. Bryce Pop. I thought about him for you. I got to be completely honest. Nice. With you, but I didn't. Um. So Bryce Pop, man, he had that crazy sack year, right? Like almost twenty in in like ninety four, three, something like that. I mean. Uh, he had just a, a crazy year. And then I remember like he was pretty quiet thereafter. I think he came over to green Bay or then he went to green Bay or something. But, uh, I was excited because I loved sacks and Bruce Smith's my favorite NFL player of all time. And so I got like another guy, uh, to, to get after the quarterback as a young football fan. And, and that really, you know, him, it was like Bruce Smith, Bryce pop, and then Marcellus Wiley were like those first three Bills pass rushers that led me to really love the idea of sacking quarterbacks. So Bryce Pop, very responsible. Wish he had a longer run with the Bills. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's, I think he's 
not really remembered that well, but he was actually right there, you know, obviously not the same level as a Reggie White or Deion Sanders, but he was actually one of the first real success stories of free agency, you know, in that, in that next tier coming over you know, from Green Bay and the 17 and a half sacks NFL defensive player of the year is a pretty crazy run, but yeah, only three years with the Bills, but somebody that I, I don't think gets thrown out there all that often in that realm of kind of really starting up free agency and was a big big early success story amongst some more famous flops. So he was depoy for that 17 and a half sack year with the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Defense player of the year for the AP anyways. Wow. Um, so, so first uh, year in Buffalo, 17 and a half sacks and he becomes the defensive player of the year. And then only, only three seasons in Buffalo. Yeah. So, and, you know, good seasons, but you know, six sacks, nine and a half sacks. So, you know, still production, but nothing like that first year. All right. All right. The next one. Mario Williams. Oh man. I, you know what I did the, um, I did a podcast with Charlie gross. Uh, he's doing like an all time bills roster. And so we got to pick five defensive ends and I, I included Mario Williams on this. I think he really came over and had three really outstanding seasons across his four seasons in Buffalo. If I'm not mistaken, he averaged double digit sacks. And so, um, I know that last year didn't go well, and I thought not only did he not play well in the scheme, but I thought he he just wasn't dialed in. Like There was just effort problems uh, that I noticed on tape, but I think those three seasons were really high-level play, this first three, and, and I think you know that defensive line with Kyle Williams and Marcel Darius with Jerry Hughes and Mario Williams, that was that was a really a really special group, they, especially that one year with with Jim Schwartz where they almost I think all four of them had double digit sacks. Yeah. And yeah, I will remember Williams fondly, but man, when he was done, he was done. And then he went to Miami and made like no impact. So uh wish wish he had more time without Rex Ryan, to be honest with you. Yeah, I always think that it's it's so it's not worth the effort of defending him because some people have just such a immediate negative reaction of him, but 38 sacks in three years, you know, three pro bowls, you know, coming in and just immediately making an impact. He was never going to live up to that contract in some people's mind, because I think he, he literally had to be Lawrence Taylor, Reggie white, you know, peak Bruce Smith kind of stuff to be able to live up to the biggest defensive contract in history. But he was darn good. And it's just a shame that it gets completely clouded in the rest of that. But uh, yeah, just uh, always interesting how polarizing he can be when he was actually really, really good. Never missed a game through that whole stretch and just was a a good contributor, but not the, you know, game wrecking presence people built up in their minds. You know, what's interesting is he's only 35 years old right now. And he's he's not played since 2031 is a weird walk away. Yeah. I mean, you look at guys like. I mean, Justin Houston, Terrell Suggs. I mean, guys are rushing the passer like a long time, <laughs> but Mario Williams, I mean, was done it's quick. So I, I think it's, I, I don't think it's a huge stretch to say that that connects to some of the motivation pieces mm-hmm. that he made his money. He's happy. And I believe he's out big game hunting somewhere right now while we're talking. <laughs> I remember his last year in Buffalo. I, I literally, the, the phrase that I kept going to watching games with my brother, I used to turn to him and say, I think Mario Williams is afraid to get his jersey dirty. Like he just, <laughs> he just wouldn't go down. Like I was like, just dive or something. Give some effort here. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. All right, I, I got, I got a third one, a little more current. Okay. Ken, Ken Dorsey, <laughs> the Bills' quarterbacks coach. You know, I think this is where my mind goes, and that's the purpose here. I'm happy that Josh Allen has a real quarterbacks coach now. 
because that first year with David Lee, who hadn't been a quarterback's coach since like 1991 at UTEP, was an embarrassment. I mean, I, Brandon Bean did has done some wonderful things. Sean McDermott has done wonderful things in Buffalo. But that situation that Josh Allen walked into year one, I mean, we could talk about personnel issues. I know some of that was because of the, uh, the dead cap space, but just not having like a legitimate freaking quarterbacks coach or a real veteran in the room to really help acclimate him. You had AJ McCarron who wanted the starting job. He wasn't interested in Josh Allen. Like those dynamics were pretty bad. And I, and David Lee, it's not his fault that he was the quarterbacks coach, but I, in my mind, I'm like, this isn't a real quarterbacks coach. The bills just drafted a quarterback in the top 10. They traded away all these assets to get him, And this is, this is his guy in the room. So I, for Ken Dorsey to be there now, a real quarterbacks coach, a guy that had a very good college career, a guy that played, you know, with the Browns and was he with the Panthers? What team was he on? I can't remember the other yeah, team. He, was uh, on. he had, a, he had a run with the Browns, Panthers, 49ers. Yeah. So he was in a lot of different systems. That means he's been exposed to a lot of different uh, teaching and offensive philosophies. He, he coached Cam Newton at the peak of his career. I'm glad that Josh Allen has a real quarterbacks coach now. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, some people take it a, a bit far, assuming that he's just the obvious successor for Brian Dable. And I, I honestly don't know if that's the case or not. He's never called plays in his right. career, but I, I like the fact that he has a good relationship with Josh. I think that that was also what allowed Dable to go up in the booth. I know you spoke yeah. uh, a couple shows ago about Dable on the field versus on the booth. I think the fact that Josh had such a good relationship with Dorsey and Dorsey was able to be the go between from Dable to Josh facilitated that. And I, I thought that was a, um, a positive there. So I'm happy. I think that's a big piece of the continuity coming back as well, that you have both voices in Allen's ear are, are back in the same year. All right, Greg, time for your first batch of three. Um, Ready. there will be one name, one phrase and one fill in the blank. All right. Got it. So we'll start with, I guess this is a phrase. It's one word. I want to know what comes to your mind when I say the word rival. Rival. Um, say fun, compet- you know, competition. That's the kind of thing that comes to my mind. And I, I always joke, you know, it, it, people like to think of the Patriots as a rival and we were the Patriots rival, like a nail is a hammer's rival. Um, <laughs> And, you know, rivalry to me is Dan Marino, Jim Kelly and Dan Marino. That's what my immediate mind goes to. That was a rivalry back and forth. Both teams fighting for playoff spots, both teams being competitive. I don't know that there's ever really been a Jets rivalry in my adult life other than the fact that we play them twice. So I look forward to now with Brady moving on and the transitions going on in New England for there to be. You know, I think there's a chance with Sam Darnold and with Tua and the and the obviously the fantastic roster Chris Greer is putting together that there's a chance for a real three way rivalry. Um, and then you know we'll see what happens with New England. Obviously, can't count them out, but I look forward to there being a more open rivalry there than what's simply been just dominance from the other direction. And I like that you you brought up Kelly Marino, and you know, I mean, the Bills ended. Marino's season what three or four times in the playoffs so like that was different the the Patriots aren't the Bills rival right now they I mean it's been they just been owning the Bills that's not a rivalry it's just annoying you know like a rivalry is where there's actual like bad blood and 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 there's competitive balance between the two teams and I mean anyone that has fandom that dates back 
be, before 2000, Miami's the rival. Oh. And I'm excited to see that kind of reemerge here. Well, and a good test is always if you ask both sides, do they both answer the same? And back right. then, the Dolphins would have said the Bills were their biggest rival. The Bills would have said the Dolphins were their biggest rival. If you ask the Patriots <laughs> who the who their biggest rival is, it's going to take a while before you find somebody yeah. who says the Bills. They might say the Colts. Yeah, you know yeah. Peyton Manning and stuff like Steelers, was, Ravens, even sure. You know, yeah, it wouldn't be. They would not say the Bills. I think that's a great way to frame it. All right, next one here is going to be your first player, and this player's name is Josh Reed. Oh, that's a fun one. Uh, uh, running back was weirdly the first word that came in my mind and that he's was kind of that old school uh, Isaiah McKenzie kind of role and was that converted, you know, you see it now more with Golden Tate and you see it mm-hmm. with, you know, guys who played that that combination role the Antonio Gibson uh, of this year uh he he was that and and there was a you know I think fans lose that he had like a two or three year stretch there that were really productive and it it fell off kind of weirdly but he had a moment where he was a legit weapon that I think fans were rightful to get excited about and then I I can't lie I don't remember why it fell off but uh um yeah running back was the first thing that came up came up in my mind Oh, he's built like one for sure. 5'10", 210. He had crazy production at LSU. I remember when the Bills got him. I just remember watching LSU games and he caught every pass. Um, And he was like that number three, right? It was like Eric Moulds, Peerless Price, Josh Reed. And then whenever he got to be like the number two, it wasn't necessarily the best role for him. But it's interesting. He he caught like – he caught 311 passes uh, from 2002 to 2009 with the Bills, and he never played for another team. That was it. His entire career. I thought he maybe signed with the Chargers, but he never appeared in a game. So um, there you go. The the Josh Reed in his his uh, stretch with the Bills. Second, he was a second round pick. Yeah, he was yeah. a second round pick, number thirty six overall. Pretty high pick. Yeah, I would have lost a bet if you had asked me if he if he how many teams he played for. I would not have guessed that it was only the Bills. Two thousand to two through two thousand nine with the Bills, one hundred and fifteen games. And then never for anyone else. Okay, this is going to be a fill in the blank. I've never done this before, but figured you'd be the right guy to, I got to give this to. All right, fill in the blank. I'm glad the Bills didn't. I'm glad the Bills didn't keep their first round pick. Um, I like the idea of the the chips in the middle. I like the idea of getting some of that cash investment during the pre major extension window. Um, I don't, I am not an advocate and I, I know you'll certainly agree with this part. I am not an advocate of trading first round picks. I think they are the, the backbone of sustainable roster building in the NFL, that, that controlled contract. This was the window to do it. So I, I am glad that they didn't play the conservative long-term maybe even long, smarter long-term play of keeping the first round pick, drafting Justin Jefferson, investing in the future and letting it grow. I'm glad that they took the calculated risk of acquiring Stefan Diggs and accelerating that development clock for Josh Allen and uh, taking the leap of faith to, to trade that first round pick. I felt certain you were going to say, I'm glad the bills didn't draft Josh Rosen, but <laughs> I well, I, I can say that now. I, I've joked about it on the show before that you know I, I'm very open with it. I was literally on my knees in my basement 
as it was playing, as they made the trade up, chanting, Rosen, not Allen, Rosen, not Allen, Rosen, not Allen. I knew it was a Josh. I knew they traded up for a Josh, and, and I'm, I've never been more happy to be wrong. I remember hearing Josh, the Buffalo Bills select quarterback, Josh, and in that moment, just knowing that I wanted to hear the words Rosen and not <laughs> Allen. And uh, here we are, brother. Here we are. Yeah, that Josh Rosen is going to be his own 30 for 30 someday. I feel feel bad. I I genuinely do. I don't think anyone has an informed opinion on what he could have been because I don't think any player short of Tim Couch has had his opportunity ruined as much as Rosen has. But uh, (laughs) I'm sure he's had more of a, a play in that than what we're aware. But poor guy hasn't had a real shot. Nope, he hasn't. But uh before we continue, let me tell you about my friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar that I've ever had. It's hard to explain. You got to try these things for yourself. They're all made with real chocolate and they have an amazing variety of flavors. You can get raspberry chocolate or cherry chocolate, salted caramel, peanut, you can get coconut almond. They have so many different flavors. And uh, not only do they all taste great, it gives you so much variety with your protein bars. Uh, I have to tell you, like the first time I had one of these, they were they were sold to me like and, and pitched really high. Like this is going to be something really special. And I'll be honest with you, it didn't disappoint for me at all. I really felt like I was eating a candy bar, but it's actually good for you. Uh, it's an amazing combination of low calories, high protein, low sugar. There's no crazy additives. If you compare them to other protein bars, it's half the calories, seven times fewer carbs, seven times fewer sugar grams, and more protein. Doesn't even make sense that it could be that good for you and taste that good. You got to try them for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKEDON to get 10 bucks off your first order. Again, BuiltBar.com, 10 bucks off your first order. They have variety packs. So if you look at all these flavors and you say, I don't know which one to pick, you can get a sampler box that gives you all the different flavors. So again, 10 bucks off your first order by visiting BuiltBar.com and using our promo code LOCKEDON. All right, Greg, you're back on the mound and I'm ready. All right. So the first one, it's a little bit of a quiz. I'm going to see if I can catch you if you get the reference, but it references to something that's an actual question. So uh, the first phrase or terms here are the annexation of Puerto Rico. That's little giants. Absolutely. Attaboy. (laughs) Um, So one, I use that in a weird amount. <laughs> in uh in in to squeeze it into discussion it really has to do with your thoughts on trick plays and uh having those things in your pocket and and the setup for them we saw it you know obviously in two of the biggest games of the year with the cowboys yeah. and with in the playoff game you know early it's it gets swept away now but it's pretty awesome trickery early on that they set up which was a variation off of that play in the Cowboys game where instead of it going from John Brown to Devin Singletary, they now let, you know, in that play, if you go back and look, Josh Allen kind of held up and stayed in the backfield. And then in the playoff game, he kept running and was then the receiver on that play. What are your thoughts on the value of trick plays in the NFL? I like them. Um, I think they're successful, right? You get big plays and maybe they're, they're cheap, maybe not, whatever, but like they're big plays and big plays are hard to get in the NFL. And you, I think you increase your chance of creating a big play by running a trick play. Um, I think they also give the opposition something else to, to talk about and deal with as part of their preparation. Like even if you never run that play again, 
that defense, that opponent has to spend time talking about it. Hey, if they do this, they've done this. And these are some of the things they can do as a counter off of it. So be mindful. Like the fact that time has to be invested in that matters a lot. And it's funny because I was, I literally, before we started recording this podcast, I was doing film study on Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback. And it was like, they were up like 38 to three over Virginia in the ACC championship game. No reason in the world to run a trick play, but they did. Trevor Lawrence handed it to the wing who then gave it to a running back who then tossed it back to Trevor Lawrence and it wound up being like an incomplete pass. It didn't work, but you know what they did? They made Ohio State, who they had to play the next the next game in the playoffs, spend time talking about that play when they were never going to run it. So I think there's value that extends even further than just the, the moment of getting that big play. Now, I do think sometimes we can get too caught up in it and like label offensive coordinators creative or not based on how frequently they, they unleash these these trick plays and like the reality is like if a trick play doesn't work it's usually a really bad result right you take a negative play or um you know hopefully it's just an incomplete pass or something like that so there are some risks associated like there is everything in football but i think generally speaking i'm in favor of it but i I also recognize that it's not very sustainable if you find the only way you're getting a big play is is off of a trick play well then you your fundamentals of your offense need to be revisited as well I agree completely. And I actually respect the fact that I think Dable was very deliberate in the moments that we saw them. They were Mm -hmm. critical moments where it was like, Hey, if I'm going to, if I'm going to show my cards here, it's going to be when it matters. It's not going to be just, you know, a random third quarter when, when we're looking for something, it was a major moment where if we hit here, it's a game impacting uh, decision. So I, I respect that. All right. The next one is a, a topic that's come up a lot and I'll, I'll, I'll ask a follow-up question afterwards, but what is what comes to mind when I say drop rate? Um, I think drop rate is frustrating uh, because I, I feel like wide receivers should always catch the football, but I think there's, there's probably a correlation between quarterbacks and drop rate that, you know, like it's not always on the receiver if it's high and it's consistently high, like I feel like maybe the quarterback has something to do with it with maybe late decisions and the football arrives uh, later than expected. And there's more coverage invited to the situation or, you know, like it's not always a, a dead receiver thing. Like, Oh, if, if half of these drops were caught, well then the stat line would be this much better. I, I think, I think there is a reasonable amount of blame that goes in the quarterback. Um, despite the receiver being the one, actually dropping the football that's perfect and it's actually exactly where my mind was going was do you see that as exclusively a wide receiver stat do you see that as a shared responsibility and i am exactly in line with where your mind went as well and that i think this is going to be a really good case study with josh uh with josh allen this year where you know he did have the highest drop rate of, of, of qualified mm-hmm. quarterbacks last year and that i think adding the number one contested catch receiver and Stefan mm-hmm. Diggs, another year of continuity, another year of development in some of the younger weapons. I know uh, the, the, I wish I could remember his name, the gentleman who's been putting out the threads of every single throw of Josh Allen by season. I he's out there on Twitter and it's been yeah. a lot of fun. He did one recently of every single drop the entire season. And you see an awful lot of Devin Singletary and a lot of Duke Williams and a lot of uh, Dawson Knox. And that, you know, I'm hopeful that a piece of that is 
young player development that comes Mm -hmm. along with it. But we're also going to see, is that just the receiver or is it Josh Allen putting the ball in a consistently more favorable position where it's not egregiously off target, but you made it harder than it needed to be. And I think that's going to be interesting to see this year. It's interesting you brought up those names. I mean, obviously, I love the fact that they were all really first-year players in the NFL, but also guys like Dawson Knox who caught like 29 passes in his career at Ole Miss and Devin Singletary who caught like six passes his final year at Florida Atlantic and then Duke Williams who never caught a pass in the NFL. I mean, his experience came in the CFL. So really, I'd be interested if you were able to break it out like, okay, drop rate when throwing to those guys compared to, you know, the John Browns and the Cole Beasleys and guys that have tenure in the league. I I would bet you'd have a material difference. I I know that it was pretty (laughs) significantly skewed by Dawson Knox alone. I I know his, I've seen some analysis where if Dawson Knox simply had a league average tight end catch rate year, um, there were some pretty material numbers, especially in some of the deep numbers that people really hammer Josh Allen about it, you know, Dawson Knox didn't need to go to number one in the NFL, but if he just went from the worst catch rate of any tight end in the NFL to average, all of a sudden Josh Allen goes from the worst deep completion percentage to average. And it was crazy. They would swing that much. Yeah. And that would, that would be uh, nice to have for the narratives we have to deal with right now about Josh Allen and the deep ball. So, all right, my final one here for you will, will lean into this role as well as your, your other podcast role. What do you think of when you hear, maybe from a fan perspective, expectation of development? Oh, sometimes I feel like people don't people don't appreciate that development is necessary. You know, it, it was like it's maddening to me last year when we're five, six games into Ed Oliver's career, and I felt <laughs> like I had to defend him. You know, it's like, how, like, dude, like. He came from Houston. He played nose tackle against AAC offensive linemen. Of course, he's not lighting the world on fire as a three technique in the NFL. You know, like Josh Allen. Oh, for the for the world in general, right? This is a raw quarterback coming from Wyoming with less than 700 career passing attempts. You're really surprised that he's not perfect after two seasons. Like, it, it baffles me. Oh, Cody Ford had struggles last year? I'm surprised a one-year starter in the Big 12 uh, that bounced around between guard and tackle in the preseason wasn't a dominant right tackle from the second he walked onto the football field in the NFL. It's like sometimes it's these are young football players and, and it's a different game going from college to the NFL and the techniques and what's required to win is so different. Like understand that development happens and it happens differently for every single player. It's different per, for, for each position. and you know, like you'll know when a guy's plateaued and they're not going to get any better. But some of this panic button so early in the guy's careers, especially when you think about the context of where they came from in college, it, it's something that frustrates me, Greg. No, I think that's a, a great response. And I think that the real value internally of a you talk about everyone's focuses on the scouting departments as college players getting ready for the draft. And I think a lot of uh, fans don't realize how much is pro scouting and self scouting Mm -hmm. and being able to identify, Hey, what do we have coming up here? Where is that going to go? As well as the other end of the stick where I think some fans get maybe a little presumptive in that, Oh, well, this player is going into a second year. He's obviously going to be better. And that 
you know, you can't go too far in either direction of assuming that what you've seen so far is what the player is forever. And you also can't bank on automatic improvement because you, you don't know that going into it. So obviously I think that's where some of the cheesy terms that fans get frustrated about. But when you talk about the right kind of makeup, the right kind of people, do they love football? I think that gives you it leans towards a better expectation of development because you can assume that's going to happen because we pick the right kind of people who are putting in the time in the film room on the whiteboard in the weight room and that that gives us a better you know odds that they're going to improve but i think it's funny how how both ends of the spectrum can be really overplayed in that nope this guy's trash we got to move on we got to draft the new guy (laughs) or well nope we saw that you know the smallest sample size and that you know he's going to be great and you take a you know robert foster look at that going into the second year people just automatically assume the only alternative was improvement uh and that wasn't quite quite the case yeah i thought robert foster had like before they signed brown and Beasley, I was like, well, Robert Foster might be the number one receiver, lead the team in receiving next year. There's plenty of logic to point it to it. What he, I mean, did did he catch 10 passes? Probably not. I I think it's literally like three. It's it's a shocking (laughs) number. It's a shocking number. What the world? Okay, uh, Greg, you're back on the hot seat for three more. Ready. And (laughs) this first one, former Buffalo Bills first round pick in 2006. Defensive tackle, John McCargo. <laughs> John McCargo. Um, so it's funny. I convinced myself that he was the hidden gem of that <laughs> NC State defensive line. And yeah. that all the attention was going to Manny Lawson and Mario Williams. I think those were the three. Yep. yep. And I convinced myself that we got a steal. Because he would have been a higher first round pick if it hadn't been for all the publicity that those guys got. And instead, he only got drafted because those guys took up all the blockers and he just looked okay <laughs> in completely unblocked or one-on-one situations. And uh, yeah, that was a painful, painful lesson to learn. In five seasons with the Bills, 40 games played, one start, one, that's what you're looking for oh. out of your first round pick. Oh. And, and a whopping 47 tackles and two and a half sacks. And two and a half sacks came in 2007. So in 2006, eight, nine, and 10, no sacks. And he played one season with the Buccaneers after his time with the Bills. He got a chance with the Bears in 2012. And that's it. Uh, the last thing we heard about uh, John McCargo was in October 2017. He was arrested on gun and drug charges in Virginia. There's an, a warrant out for his arrest for domestic violence charges in California. So uh, things are not looking good for John McCargo right now, and that pick did not work out, sir. Yeah, whatever career earnings he ended up making over that that stretch, he owes like half of that to Mario Williams and Manny Lawson. Uh, since you said it, we got to find out what is John McCargo's <laughs> career earnings. This is I find myself doing this all the time. So I, John yeah. McCargo for his career has made eight million, eight point six million dollars. Oh yeah, two million each to Mario Williams and Mandy Lawson at minimum. <laughs> all right, there it is, John McCargo. Okay, your next one, Greg. Uh, this is another fill in the blank. All right, I still can't believe. Oh, I I still can't believe the 
Bill, I, I think the Bills have the best other 52 roster in the NFL, and I still can't believe Brandon Bean has done that in under three years. I, I still can't believe that there are outlets and media companies debating if the Bills are going to win 12 games or if they're one of the top three or four teams in the league. I can't believe that there are people picking the Bills as their sleeper Super Bowl pick and things like that. It's, you know, you spend third, I'm 39. I, I spent, you know, 25 of those years just kind of being the, the tough plucky underdog that stuck with his team no matter what, because yeah, it's tough being a Bills fan, but I still stick with them. And now all of a sudden I still can't believe that, people are believing in my team it's it's, it's a weird <laughs> foreign feeling i don't i don't know how to process it you're you're not wrong it's it's sort of uncomfortable because i guard hard against homer takes but i've had to do a lot of radio a lot of different podcasts with people and they know that i cover the bills in this podcast and we talk about expectations and i'm like yeah this feels really weird but i i think this is this is a good football team that should be looked at as the favorites to win the afc east and and it's it's been a long time since we could really feel that way. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know we'll have lots of time. I'm sure we'll, we'll be on together again. Uh, you know, leading up to things many times, but it's it's weird that for the first time in my adult life, it will be a disappointment if the Bills don't win the division, and that's just a awesome situation to be in. I, I don't, I, I know so much of that. In in professionally, I spend a lot of time coaching people on managing expectations, making sure that you're setting reasonable, attainable goals. Don't set yourself up for failure because you, you know, set an unreasonable goal. But fan stands for fanatic for a reason. Fan, fanhood is emotional. Fanhood is not logical. Fan fanhood is not reasonable. I get wanting to guard against those things, but I think it's fun and exciting to get excited about the future and to have legitimate reason for optimism. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Don't hurt me bills. Do not <laughs> hurt me. I'm By the way, I'll take it hurt again. I will take not winning the division. If it means a playoff win. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. I, I would trade that for sure. Yeah. All right. Last one. It's a player and it's a fun one. Demetrius bell. Oh, God. <laughs> um so untapped potential uh like like that was one of those guys that I think I talked myself into we found another Jason Peters <laughs> you're like oh man we got it and then we even you know Chantrell Henderson we even kind of stumbled across it is you know that constantly having that guy that just had all the physical parts if you drew them up in a lab or you were drawing designing what of an offensive lineman or a tackle should look like it was, man, he should look like that. Um, and just never quite clicked and <laughs> never quite netted out on the field. But I, I had a moment where I talked myself into being excited about him. And he, it was injured a lot too. Like he, he started eight games, 16 and then six and then five with, with the Eagles in 2012. I remember his contract blew me away. Right. So like he was a pretty good, decent player. You felt like he was at least an average left tackle, but he couldn't stay healthy. And then he gets a deal with the Philadelphia Eagles after, you know, his contract expired with the Bills. And he signed for a five-year deal that was worth $34.5 million in 2012. It was a ton of money for a left tackle. And he was injured like the last year he was with the Bills, he his season was over with a knee injury in week 10. And and then that dude that dude signed the big deal with the Eagles 
started like, again, a five-year deal. He plays in nine games, starts five, and then he gets released, signed by the Cowboys, lasted like two weeks, or well, about six weeks in preseason and was cut August 2013 and, and never to be seen from again. Yeah, I, I remember kind of talking myself into. I, I, I think he was in a strange son of Carl Malone yes. as well, if if I recall. And in, in that it was, yeah, you just you talked yourself into the potential of of his athleticism, and like I said, he looked the part. Like he he looked like he was the real deal. And um, yeah, I guess I, I don't know a lot about the Eagles' uh, tenure. Why you know five years and 34.5 million. That's tough to walk <laughs> away from after one year. So good Lord, that had to be a rough stretch. Yeah. Unfortunate for him. And yeah, you're right. He did. I mean, he was six, five over 300 pounds, long arms, uh, can move, but he was always hurt. And, um, he's made some money though. So good for him. But yeah, I mean, imagine signing a guy to like that big of a deal, five years, cutting him one year into it. Wow. Not, not great. Not great. All right, Greg. Well, that was fun. Um, I, uh, was, I'm glad to find you find that, find out that you settled in a little bit in Cleveland. That way we could, uh, we could hook up for one of these Buffalo bills word associations. You did not disappoint and, uh, appreciate what you brought to the show. Absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity. I had a lot of fun listening to the other guys that had a chance to come through here and, uh, looking forward to having you on the, the cover one, uh, Buffalo podcast again. We'll have some fun here. It's getting into this, this is going to be a weird stretch now because it's it's normally the kind of dog days of, of the NFL offseason as it is. But now we don't even have some of the mini camp nonsense that we normally have is filler. Yep. So yep. it's uh, we're going to have to get creative with some of the things coming up here. And I, I have no doubt you'll uh, you'll lead the way with uh, some creative content coming forward. He's Greg Thompson. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Thompson. There's two T's. So don't fall for any imposter accounts out there. I'm sure there are many. He's the host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast over at CoverOne.net. Thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, I do kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review. Tomorrow's Twitter Tuesday, and I'll talk to you then.